0: This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind Podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi there, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind Podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. Today, I have something really cool. I was featured um, on someone named Michael's podcast, and he has a business called stillfeel21.com. And the conversation we had, I thought, just really got to the crux, the heart of almost everything. I mean, within 30 minutes, we went so deep into some of the most important topics around society and around conditioning and around how we got here in the first place and around what alcohol really does and the science. And it was just really, really meaty and really profound. And so this week, I just wanted to share it with you on this
1: podcast because I thought it was such a great conversation. So I hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. I am Michael Patrick from stillfield 21com And I am very grateful and very excited to have a special guest with me today. So I have the author of This Naked Mind. So Annie Grace, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome. No, thanks so much, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Very cool. So I'm going to read, if everyone can pardon me for reading off a card, I want to read the subtitle to your book, because I think that's really going to set the tone for what we're going to dig into. So this naked mind control alcohol, find freedom, rediscover happiness and change your life. So Annie, I think a great place to start, which is one of the things that struck me the most about your book was your approach to people and managing alcohol. It was not a zero sum game. You seem to leave room and openness to people maybe just managing their alcohol better or curbing a little bit. So I'd just like to start with the why and how you came about that approach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, it was a really personal journey for me. Um, I'd spent a lot of time trying to found myself drinking more than I ever wanted to be drinking, spent a lot of time trying to control my own drinking and setting rules for myself, you know, not drinking after a certain time of day, not drinking on the weekend, stuff like that. And then every time I did that, I felt very emotionally deprived and like there was something missing. I couldn't have a good enough time. I felt like I was missing out. And so I really was wondering why is this? Why was it that I used to be able to not miss drinking if I wasn't drinking and now suddenly I missed it so much. So I just did a ton of research and one of the most interesting things to your point um, about the research I did is there's something called spontaneous sobriety and it is, affects 30% of people who have had any sort of problem with alcohol where they go into sort of, I guess, spontaneous remission, if you will, they make a clear decision and it isn't necessarily that they go to never drinking again Um, a percentage of those people go to drinking on occasion, drinking at levels that are no longer affecting their lives. And I said, okay, well, what is this spontaneous sobriety and and how do I get there?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you said that was 30%. That's a massive number. That seems to me.
0: A huge number. And it's been sort of proven to be more successful than certain treatment things as well, because when it comes. And, and my theory and I don't know for sure because there's very little research done on spontaneous sobriety but um, is that when it comes completely internally through probing questions you know your own decisions based on just information I would say that that would stick a lot firmer than if it's very external influences people telling you what you should or shouldn't can and can't do
1: yeah, it's very interesting. In, in, I'm on a current break right now from booze. It's been about two years. And in my early probing of this, with uh, I was in therapy at the time. It was really cool. My therapist and I both kind of came to the conclusion, like, no declarative statements, no really thoughts or, or missions beyond just kind of see where it goes organically. And I think that just takes pressure off of things. So I think that's kind of where you're at with this approach.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, I... I don't say, like for me, that I don't drink. I say I drink as much as I want whenever I want. But through the work and the research I've done, I haven't wanted to drink in more than three years now. So it's a very freeing approach where I'm not constrained by rules and I don't feel like I'm missing out, which is very counter to how I felt before I kind of started this journey of research, because every time you know, even if I was the designated driver or during pregnancies, I would feel very much like, oh, the party's going on without me. I'm missing out. And, you know, my my discovery sense is really that it's not necessarily that I was miserable because I couldn't drink, but I was miserable because I thought that I was going to be miserable without alcohol. Wow. And therein lies the differentiator, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense. So I really want to hone in on the conditioning piece, the social conditioning that is wrapped up with alcohol in our society, because prior to reading your book, I had zero awareness of this. It was such a light bulb moment for me to to just see the unpacking of this conditioning that's so pervasive in our society. So was this something that you had an awareness of or through the research, you came to light of it? Like, how did this come to be on your radar?
0: Well, I was sort of <clears throat> uniquely poised for this, poised because in my um, my prior life, I'm now just full time author. But before that, I was um, a corporate executive, and I was the global head of marketing. So I had worked in advertising agencies and corporate marketing my entire career. I had studied consumer behavior and you know how people react to different things. So although I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was. It was top of mind for me when it came to drinking. But advertising general and how we can influence the unconscious mind from an advertising perspective was always top of mind for me for whatever product I was selling. And I remember, um, just a little segue into kind of how this works is One of the things, there's two things at play here. I mean, one of the things is that we all believe that advertising doesn't work on us. Like if you ask any single person, they say, oh, yeah, it doesn't work. Okay. And let me just tell you that the alcohol industry spends $2 billion a year they wouldn't do that if it wasn't profitable. You know, Guinness, I think, holds one of the top records for most expensive commercials of all time. And, you know, I think it was $20 million for a single commercial. They wouldn't do that if they didn't sell more Guinness than $20 million worth. Absolutely. And so we, we sit there and we say, okay, well... Um, we see these commercials and they're ridiculous. I mean, I've seen commercials promising like a threesome or, you know, you're going to be like all of a sudden ripped and amazing if you drink Michelob ultra, you know, all of this sorts of stuff. And we say, okay, that's ridiculous. And we dismiss it. And in that moment of dismissal, we don't realize that it's permeating our unconscious mind, that there's all this conditioning happening kind of below the surface. And I think in that moment of dismissal, we almost give it permission. And what a better approach is is to look at these things and really say, "Wow, okay, how, you know, we know this works. How is this working?" And and take a much more mindful approach. You know, looking at commercials doing during the Super Bowl, and it's so interesting to me, Michael. We, you know, alcohol. I like to say that alcohol is the only drug on earth we sort of have to justify not taking. And I think a big reason we have to do that is because of this societal conditioning and how pervasive it is in our culture and if you consider this you know um number one and number two spend from an advertising perspective are cars and alcohol and they go back and forth and some years it's more in cars some years it's more in alcohol but those are the number two the number one and number two categories across the board in terms of dollars spent on advertising and we can't watch a football game with our two sons who are six and nine right now without them seeing at least a dozen commercials for alcohol. And if you were to pull out, I mean, even if you were gonna pull out a commercial for marijuana during this, like a football game, everybody would be up in arms. Like it would be, imagine pulling out a commercial for, and marijuana doesn't, you know, there's never been a, a proven death. Imagine pulling out a commercial for cocaine or heroin and people would go nuts. It would never be allowed. It would never be permitted yet alcohol kills four times as many people as all illegal drugs combined every single year. And so how this is you know once you see this once kind of you you've seen behind the curtain you're like how is this happening?
1: <laughs> yeah, no that that's amazing. It really is. So one specific realm under the the conditioning that I'd love to get into a little bit And I have to acknowledge that when I used to see these articles pop up on Facebook, like the five reasons wine's good for your health or, you know, beer, you know, the reason it's good. Just the the notion of moderate alcohol for wellness, I now see is just total bunk. And if you could just touch on that a little bit, I think that'd be really helpful.
0: Yeah, there's two aspects to this. There's the first aspect is how we get our information. And so we live in a, a, what I call a headline culture. And it's basically that you see something on Facebook, you read the headline, believe it to be true because it's come from a credible source. But the percentage of people that actually read that article and then look at the study that that article is citing is infinitesimal. It's very, very, very few people, you know, maybe a researcher like myself and a few other people, but very few people. Now I did this. I went and I looked and there's two factors here. There's one, how much things studies that have found some link between moderate drinking and health get shared. And it's upwards of the ratio is like 10,000 to one versus the studies that come out about the harms of alcohol. So alcohol was declared a known carcinogen in 1988. It is as toxic in terms of causing cancer as formaldehyde, right? But we <laughs> <laughs> that that's been knowledge since 1988 that is not shared on facebook and that's because of something called social currency we don't share things that are going to make us unpopular we're the party pooper, but we're sharing things that are going to be like oh yeah if we can say this glass of wine equals this half an hour workout i can share this and all my friends think that's cool and it elevates kind of our social stature so we don't necessarily share things based on what's actually true and we don't certainly look into the research so that's one aspect. And the number of studies about the, the benefits of alcohol compared to the harms are about 100 to 1. And the ones about the benefits always have massive, that massive that caveats that, that are, are not reported so 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 you know, in the So, this was a study, that's and it said that's you that's actually that. live longer if you drink moderately. And so, what they did is they measured a series of drinkers, some of them were completely abstinent. Some of them drink moderately, and some of them are heavy drinkers. And the people who were heavy drinkers and completely abstinent in this study, and this study was about 1,300 people, so relatively small sample size, um, the completely abstinent and the heavy drinkers um, died before the moderate drinkers, okay? Now, there's two factors that they say in the study that nobody says in the headlines. And these two factors are the completely abstinent people were mostly abstinent because of health concerns or because they had prior alcohol issues. Oh, wow.
1: Yep. (laughs) So
0: here you have these people. Of course, they're going to die sooner. And the heavy drinkers, of course, they're going to die sooner. Yet the study says this moderate drinkers live longer, which is technically true, but it completely overlooks the reason of death. They did not put the cause of death as a factor in this study. In fact, they didn't even track it. So if somebody who's not a drinker anymore is dying of liver cancer, that wasn't acknowledged whatsoever. And then another one I'll just talk really briefly about um, is this idea of wine for heart health, right? So there's this very pervasive thing that wine has something called reservatol and reservatol um, increases your heart health. And it's also, you know, but you can get these sort of things in in juice. If you're going to have a nice antioxidant rich glass of juice every single night, very ritualistic, which most people don't do, you would be really doing the same, same sort of effects. But they actually did a study where they combined all of the studies on heart health. And I believe there were um, at least there were more than a hundred studies. It, it turned out to be almost a quarter of a million people who were studied and they did what was called i forget the word for it but it was when you take a whole series of studies you combine all the data and you say okay based on all this data looking at it together what is the consensus what is the truth here because these studies you know they're here there they're everywhere um And and the consensus was there's absolutely no safe level of alcohol consumption and uh, that it's, there's not a a reliable connection between heart health and alcohol use. And so, but again, that study, that massive, you know, meta study of all the little studies is not publicized. You can find it easily. I cite it in my book, but it's not something that's going to be shared widely on Facebook.
1: All right. Now, the, the last piece under the conditioning, I just would love to hear you expand upon a little bit is the notion that alcohol, even in a moderate realm, just to help you relax, alcohol being an agent for relaxation. And I can clearly look back now and see it was a subversive agent in my life. I think there was subtle anxieties that I was ramping up, but in that moment just had no awareness of. So if you could just unpack a little bit the, the conditioning notion that a you know, glass or two of alcohol in the evening to unwind, would love to hear your thoughts.
0: Yeah, of course. So conditioning comes from a few sources. It comes from, you know, our experiences. um, And we'll get into that because that's the most prevalent one with relaxation. It comes from our observations and our conclusions. And so we observe people relaxing after a hard day with a glass of wine all the time. I mean, that just always happens, whether it's the homicide detective who just got off a hard case, he's popping his beer or, you know, whatever the case is. So, So we've been very very much observation of people relaxing. Happy hours are just for this factor. But then what really the kicker happens is with our experience, because our experience confirms this. Alcohol numbs um, your your neural synapses. So actually, you think slower after drinking. And that feels like relaxation. You numb whatever pain you're in for a short amount of time. Um, And so that certainly feels like relaxation, and that confirms this. Now, here's the thing that you don't know, right? So you've got these observations. You've got these experiences. You form this belief, and I know I had this belief. Without a doubt, like the sky was blue, alcohol relaxed me. I needed it to relax. Um, What you don't know is that alcohol is a stimulant and a depressant. And we know that it's a depressant, but we don't really understand that, especially because it feels good in the moment. So how this works is alcohol, when you drink it, your blood alcohol levels or your BAC, blood alcohol content starts to rise. And it rises for about a half an hour. And when it's rising, you feel feelings like euphoria. You feel um, a pick-me-up you feel, you know, that stress relief, all of these things. And so you get one drink, you get about a half an hour rise. What you don't know is as soon as that half an hour is over, as the alcohol starts to leave your system, your blood alcohol levels start to go down and the blood alcohol levels going down. That's where you feel uncomfortable. You feel uneasy. You feel this sense of something not quite being right. You feel anxious. Uh, Your body actually releases adrenaline and cortisol, one of the most damaging stress hormones into your system as your blood alcohol is falling. And so what we typically, do is we have that half an hour, we peak, and then we start to come down and we have another drink. And so then we chase it up and chase it up all night long. And why this isn't really noticed is that we're trading a half an hour of, you know, decent, good feelings for two to three hours of quite negative feelings is because we continue to escalate through the night. And then this big come down, this big letdown happens when we're asleep. And we wake up the next morning, not feeling great. We feel more anxious. We feel more uncomfortable. We feel like, what did we do the night before? We wish we would have made different decisions. Even if we haven't done anything stupid or even if we didn't get drunk, we don't feel as good as we did. And we don't connect that to the drink. It is a hundred percent. We don't feel as good. We don't have as much energy. We feel lethargic. We feel anxious. We feel uncomfortable because the alcohol has released these um, stress hormones into our system but we don't make that connection we simply say we need some coffee and then we start looking forward to five o'clock when we can have that next drink and take the edge off for a little bit of time so for every drink you're trading a half an hour of of positive feelings for two to three hours of negative feelings which you generally sleep off but it, it continues with you and so often the next drink is even better then the night before I was recently on a radio show where the woman who was interviewing me, she's like, I always say that. I always say, you know, I look forward to that second glass of wine because that first glass of wine is bringing you up. You start to go down. That second glass of wine is bringing you up over where you start to go down from. So it's actually wow. scratching an itch. The first glass of wine created, um, which is just, you know, so it just doesn't. And then there was one other aspect to this that I think is really relevant is there was a, um, there was a study done of mice, and they took two different sets of mice, and one of them they you know kept sober, and then one of them they gave alcohol for, I believe it was a period of 30 days, and then they put these mice through an obstacle course and measured their stress response, and the mice that had been drinking were much less able to deal with stress. So there's not only the immediate effect of you're trading a half an hour for two to three hours, but then there's a cumulative effect of drinking over time makes you actually less able to deal with stressors. You know, you react more intensely, you can't keep your calm, they feel more intense to you. And so what do you do, because you don't make the connection to alcohol, is you drink more because you're more stressed out and there the cycle really continues and and
1: goes upward. Wow, just just the awareness, just to get this information out there for people to make up their own minds, I think it's just critical to just to arm people with what's really going on. So that I appreciate you getting into that. So I feel like there seems to be an awakening going on, but I can't tell if just because I'm currently on a break, my antenna is up more for those kind of articles and mentions online. But I feel like it's popping up all over. You know, I've I've taken a year off. Here's what's happened. And just, is there something going on out there right now? Or am I just kind of dialed into that lane?
0: No, there's definitely something going on. And first of all, I will say, you know, to your point of it's just good to have the information, right? It doesn't mean that we need to make any sort of decisions. And it certainly doesn't mean that if you do have a drink that you're like destined to be, you know, it's not a black and white conversation. It's a whole spectrum. And just being mindful of the information is really where the keys are because then you can make mindful decisions feeling fully equipped. Um, And then in terms of the trend, I mean, it's amazing what's happening right now. There are more kind of sober lit books published to January 1st, uh, especially in the UK, than kind of ever before. So more people are writing about this. More people are getting the awareness out. There is more of a. Um, it, Mind Body Green said sobriety was one of the big health trends to watch and become aware of because it's not people who are you know I never had a rock bottom experience. People who knew me said, "Oh, I've never even really seen you drunk," you know, and I think it's more and more people who are just like, oh, you know, I don't know that this is allowing me to live my best life. There's a huge awakening among entrepreneurs because they've realized that stopping drinking leads to this explosive success because all of a sudden they have time and awareness and they get really clear on where they're going and who they want to be and what they want to be doing with their time. And so alcohol numbs us and you can't numb, you know, you can't numb, um, Individually, it numbs across the board. So it's really amazing. But the most, the most uh, interesting and I think hopeful part of this is there was a study done recently on young, like millennials and even earlier, so 20, 20, 20 to 25 year olds. And 20 to 25 year old non drinkers is at the highest level it's ever been um, in kind of recorded history. So people at that age level are saying, okay, alcohol, that's kind of my parents' drug. I don't want anything to do with that. And it's for a lot of reasons. There's a huge health consciousness with that age group and um, their lives are completely on social media. So almost everything they do is recorded. I mean, I know when I was in high school, nobody was posting pictures of the (laughs) parties on the phones. Thank Thank
1: God. Me too. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, but for them, they're like, it's just not worth it. I don't want to be made a fool of. I don't want to be that drunk. That's my parents did that. I saw it. That was stupid. And and that's not for me. So that's like a statistically proven thing that young people
1: are drinking less than ever before. That's fascinating. So I'd like to wrap up here. I believe there is a newer version of this naked mind out. Is that correct, Annie? Yep.
0: Yep. It just came out. I self-published and I guess to the To the point of of things changing, Penguin Random House said, oh, I want this book. And so they've recently republished it traditionally um, as of January 2nd. So, yeah,
1: that's awesome. Congrats on that. And I'll make sure to link to your site in the video video description here. Just on a personal note, I, I think you're doing critical work out there. And I love your approach. I think it just it's inclusive. It allows room for anyone just to be armed with information and make a decision on their own. I have a very short list of books that have been so profound in my life, and yours absolutely is included in that. So thank you for the work you do, and especially taking the time to join me today. It was a really fun chat.
0: Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: All right, Annie, take care. Thank you.
0: This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com, And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.